Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 104. Today is an exciting day because we are going to talk about a topic that I am right in the thick of, and that is raising kids. And so um, if you think back just a little bit, back to podcast num- number 100, which is a uh, about four episodes ago, uh, we had John G. Miller, who was the author of Question Behind the Question, and we were going through and talking about leadership, being under poor leadership, being under under good leadership, and how QBQ applies to that. And uh, I've talked a little bit about just QBQ in in some of the previous podcasts, but John has mentioned some of the other books and and some of the other resources that they make available through uh, the whole uh, QBQ suite of uh, information or products or whatever you want to call it. John recommended I uh, talk to his daughter, Kristen. And for a decade, Kristen has been speaking on the principle of personal accountability from the best-selling book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. Authored by her father, John G. Miller, Kristen, ha- Kristen has taught this life-changing material to over 20,000 people in 130-plus organizations. She also created the QBQ workbook based on the QBQ book, as well as the I Own It curriculum, for schools. Combining her master's degree in curriculum, instruction, and corporate education with multimedia tools, Kristen Kristen creates an excellent learning environment for nonprofits. All groups will benefit from participating in a live QBQ session. When not traveling to speak, Kristen, Kristen, man, I can't say your name. Kristen manages a network of independent QBQ trainers and distributors and provides training and support to QBQ Inc. clients who have acquired the QBQ training program for in-house use. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. I, man, I was, I I, I don't know if it's just early morning waking up and, uh, I just need to do my do my vocal exercise exercises or something, but I'm just be be mentally prepared. I'm gonna just butcher a bunch of words today. But if you don't mind, say hello to the audience uh, and tell them a little bit more about yourself. Well, hello and thanks for joining us again. My name is Kristen. <laughs> yes. And um, Kristen Lindine, I hail from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my husband Eric and I have four wonderful children. Joshua is eight. Rebecca is six. Andrew is three and Mariah is just about four months and I get to have the pleasure of working for family business and I've joined my dad about 10 years ago on the QBQ Inc. team and it's just him and me and we run this training company and we promote our books and our ideas and teach QBQ across this great nation. So I'm happy to be here today. Thanks. Oh, absolutely. We're honored to have you. If you don't mind, I'm not going to assume that everybody's listening to podcast number 100. So if you could give everyone just a brief recap of what QBQ is. Sure. So the QBQ, the question behind the question, is a tool that is was created to help leaders. Um, and a leader is, you know, 
anyone because leadership at all levels, no matter where we are in life, no matter what our age, our title, our position, or our tenure is. Uh, so QBQ is a tool uh, created to help leaders practice personal accountability by making a better choice in the moment. So we make these better choices in the moment to ask better questions. And what are those better questions? They're QBQs, the question behind the question. So every QBQ begins with what or how contains an I and focuses on action. So instead of asking questions like, why is this happening to me? Why doesn't anyone understand me? Who made that mistake? Who made the mess? When is someone going to help me out around here? We ask better questions that begin with what or how, contain an I, focus on action. So questions like, what can I do to solve the problem? How can I improve myself? What can I do to help this person in front of me right now with the tools that I have? So it's really just a, a wonderful tool for helping every individual turn every situation around to myself and say, okay, how can I change in this situation? What can I do to improve? Instead of looking externally to try to fix other people or blame outside um, situations. Well, thank you for kind of recapping that. I especially love the kind of the equation, the what, how, uh, include I and, and have action. I think that really kind of helps you get to that point where you start to analyze some of the things that you're saying, some of the questions that you're asking, because then you can say, all right, is is this some personal accountability that I need to throw in here? Or am I just complaining or just kind of looking to other people and deferring um, responsibility to other people? Yeah. And I think that the big takeaway that I have from QBQ is that the book actually would be better served, in my opinion, if every other page just had a mirror in it and it just you just kind of like go through it, you start reading it, and then you just look at yourself. It's so and true. Then you're like, <laughs> then you're just like, oh, okay, well, there's the problem again. It's me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I can, I the good news is that you can fix it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about me. That sounds like a selfish statement, but in this case, in personal accountability, it really is all about me. <laughs> well, that leads to kind of this book, The Raising Accountable Kids, because when I think about kids, I think that they're automatically programmed to think that it's all about them. Uh, and, so, and so we got to figure out kind of a way that like, how do we raise these kids? And so if you're tuning into this podcast and you're listening and you're saying, I don't have kids, so I'm just going to go ahead and skip on. I'm going to wait a week, wait for the next one to come through. Uh, hear me out, because I think that there is uh, definitely some practical application for raising kids in here. But I think what it really comes down to is this is a, like a reinforcement of QBQ because when you think about children and when you think about uh, raising kids, you're creating, or you're not creating, uh, you're raising younger versions of yourself. And that's essentially who this podcast is targeted at. So when I'm speaking to you, I'm, I'm speaking from kind of some of the experience that I've gained over the last five to 10 years. And I want to share some things from people that have learned things along the ways. But at some point, you're going to be doing this yourself. You're going to be talking to that younger generation and um, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get frazzled. You're going to get, um, concerned you're going to you're you're going to experience pretty much all realms of emotion when it comes to um raising kids and so it's really encouraging for me to know that there's a book out here uh, called raising accountable kids because it kind of helps give you a little bit of a guide i would say to navigating some of the challenges that people have when i read this book which i just finished it um 
I found myself reading questions out loud that was printed on the page that I had said out loud to myself. And I was like, okay, so some, I'm not the only one, so that's good. So I, someone's empathizing with me, but they're also kind of guiding me in some of the things that, that we can do. The reason I wanted to have Kristen on and, and I want to have, and I'm glad I got your name right that time. Uh, the reason I wanted to have you on was because uh, you were raised essentially in the ultimate QBQ home. So yeah. you got to experience some of this stuff. And um, it, for me, it's just, uh, it, it's intriguing because uh, as you kind of read this book, you realize that your parents' home life was not the same maybe as your home life. And so at some point, your parents kind of decided to to get a little bit more intentional with QBQ and change the dynamic of of personal accountability and then now you and your siblings, which you have, is it six, six siblings or seven siblings? I'm, I'm the oldest of seven. So I have six siblings. Oldest seven. So you have seven siblings or six siblings uh, that were all raised in this. And based on my conversations with, with John, uh, he's a f- officially pretty much launched everybody or for the most part yeah. into the world as fully functioning adults. And once <laughs> you become a parent, like that's the goal, right? That's, that's the goal the, is to launch people goal. out there. We are raising yeah. little adults. That's what we're doing. Long-term thinking, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you can talk a little bit about like what it was like to kind of have parents that were personally accountable uh, to themselves and how they're raising you and maybe contrast that to some of like some of your friends or, or some of the, the people that you're around. And when did you really, really start to see the difference between how they were raising you and how others were raising uh, their kids? Sure. That's a good question. I, what I really appreciated about my parents was even as a young teen, you know, going into older teens and then even in my college years, which I truly believe are some of the most difficult years to parent because college students, you know, they are independent, but they still need their parents. So that just sounds tricky to me. Mm-hmm. But my parents just always did such a great job at continuing to grow, continuing to learn, continuing always to say, hey, we're still figuring this out. And of course, I'm the oldest, so I'm the guinea pig right? Like our poor old <laughs> children, like they get everything practiced and tried out on them. And I see that happening with our eight-year-old now, like every new stage he's in, my husband and I are, are kind of scrambling to figure out, oh, what's this new thing? But by the time the second and third enter that stage, we've, it's old hat, we've got it figured out. So my parents just did a really good job at, there were always parenting books laying around, they were always learning, they were always trying to grow. And not only that, they were always working on their marriage. They were always working on themselves and their relationship with each other because they knew that they were modeling life for us. And when they were struggling, they didn't hide it from us. They didn't pretend everything was okay when it wasn't. Uh, When they went to counseling for their marriage multiple different times, they told us about it. We knew. Uh, So we, what was modeled for us was the truth that they were constantly a work in progress. And that's, that really shaped um, us kids and our ability to be able to say, Hey, I made a mistake. I, di- I didn't do that. Right. Like, how could I do this better? So my parents modeled accountability for their own personal growth and change as parents, as spouses and as individuals. And I think that was quite different than a lot of my friends, parents who were in the throes of honestly divorce or separation or just constantly fighting. And my friends didn't want to go home. They wanted to be at my house because my parents yeah fight but at least they were honest about the fact that they were fighting and then they tried to make it better so i just think that modeling of personal accountability and always looking at themselves and 
ourselves as adults and parents and trying to grow and become better was really important in how they raised us. Yeah. Uh, the book talks a little bit about that and, and uh, talking about just being honest with your kids and not necessarily, uh, sheltering them, uh, in that area, but also talking about speaking well over them, like not, not actively saying things like, Oh, well, you know, I can't wait for school to start because then I get you guys out of my house and things like that. And I, I feel like that's like some of that frustration building up because when you're raising kids and, and it goes back to that accountability, like, you know, maybe your kids are acting that way because you haven't modeled well for them or you haven't spent the time with them. Or, you know, I want to talk about uh, abdication. You've kind of ab abdicated uh, some of the responsibility of raising kids to other people. And so now you're frustrated because they're not necessarily doing the things that you want or they're exhibiting some of the, the weaknesses that you have in your life. But I, I wanted to ask you this because th th that was kind of a big point to me was, we, we feel this responsibility as parents to maybe sh shelter our kids' situations because we believe that if we do that, then the kids, like that's going to somehow compromise our um, authority in their life. But I feel like reading the book and, and, and talking about QBQ, um, it's the exact opposite. We do want to be more honest with our kids and we do want to have opportunity or take opportunities to say that I'm sorry because if we never say we're sorry – they're never going to say they're sorry. They're never going to admit those times that they failed uh, and it makes them less human. And then they have this maybe unrealistic uh, uh, expectation of what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be perfect and they just can't achieve that. Right. Yeah. So I think that it, it is really, it, it's, it's easy to think that I have all the answers as the parent and I'm always right. But I mean, anyone out there who has a younger version of themselves living in their house, it's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> they, <laughs> my son, Joshua, and I, we are extremely similar. Uh, he's eight years old. He's in third grade. And we're very similar. And so when we butt heads, we butt heads. Um, but I, because we're so similar, it is my job to model for him how to say I'm sorry, how to say, you know what, I was wrong. I should not have yelled at you like that. I should not have. Um, whatever it was, I, I've been teaching him through my own actions, how to be humble, how to apologize. And that's been a, an interesting journey, figuring that out and working with that. Um, I th one of the things you actually cut out a little bit there. So I hope I'm addressing your question. So tell me if I'm not. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the question was, why do we feel that we need to shelter our kids from like, either showing why do we feel like we need to not show weakness to them or why do we feel like we need okay. to not necessarily be honest with them because we are um you know honest with the situation so like you said your parents were fighting or they were going to counseling like why do we feel like we we don't need to tell them that sure i i don't know because we're really honest with our kids so i i think that i can imagine that some parents would feel like their kids can't handle it that it's mm -hmm adult stuff. It's adult problems. So why would I share it with my kid? And of course, I'm not going to tell my kid, well, mom and dad are fighting about finances because we can't pay the bills. And I mean, I'm not going to lay it all out for them, but I'm also not going to pretend that everything is perfect and hunky dory because then when it does fall apart and something happens that does truly affect my child, he's going to be completely shocked and surprised. So better to be honest in a level that they can understand, that they can appreciate along the way than to just 
Oh, everything's great. Mom and dad are so happy. Oh, we're getting a divorce. You know, like <laughs> I cannot imagine how that would how that would feel to a child to be completely blindsided like that. So I I prefer being honest with my kids. I mean, even just down to last week, my parents had to put their dog down. And that was really unexpected. And my kids love my parents' dogs. My parents mm -hmm. live in Colorado. We live in Minnesota. So when we visit, it's like a really big deal that they get to hang out with dogs for a week because I refuse to have dogs when I have diapers in this house. So, <laughs> That's a good plan. Diapers in this house, we're not having dogs. That's just the truth. So my parents had to put their dog down. And I chose to just tell our kids, hey, guys, guess what? Nugget had to die today. And I used mm -hmm. the word die and we talked about death and we talked about cancer and why Nugget had to go. And you know what? They just, they, they took it. They said, oh, we're sad. They said, how's grandpa? Is he okay? And we just talked through it. Some parents would have said, you know, Nugget had to go to a, a farm to live somewhere else for a while and, and not told the truth. And I just think it's really important to tell the truth to our kids and, and walk that, that line of modeling truthfulness about life's hard. And that's, mm -hmm. And that will help them then be able to come to me and say, hey, mom, guess what? This thing happened at school today. It was really hard. And I don't I don't know what to do about it. That opens the, mm -hmm. the doorways of communication with them. Yeah, I think the book talks about using those as teaching opportunities. So that, those are actually going to create conversations with your kids. And you said it yourself. We think that maybe they're not ready for some of that stuff. But I've had to have a similar conversation with my kids about um, a dog that we used to have. And they were really sad and to the point where like Ethan, my oldest, when they had a show and tell thing, he wanted to take a picture of Jake to show and tell to talk about uh, the dog, but also talk about how sad he was because uh, the dog had just passed away. And so um, I think that we, in some cases, feel like that we're protecting them. But I think we're 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 kind of um, insulating them from the ability to express emotion and share emotion. And if we don't do that, then they won't know how to do it. Maybe further on in life, and that can have. Uh, it, even exponentially larger consequences. Right. Better to train them now while they're under my roof and under my care. Better to train them now to express those feelings, not just stuff them. And mm -hmm. let's face it, like kids are not dumb. They pick up on stuff. Like my kids sense things. My husband and I try to speak in code around them and they're like, why are you talking about that, mom? Like they know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. So better to just tell them straight up in language that they can understand and then help them learn to process through that. That's my job. I'm their parent. What can I do to help my child learn to navigate life's tough things? Because life is hard. Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back to something you talked about a, a little while back. And, and that was talking about how you and your son Joshua really butted heads because you guys are very, very similar. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the, the things that we 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 uh, run into is, and I've talked to a lot of people that say, oh, so-and-so is like me, my other kids, like my wife or, or whatever else. And I feel like that when you kind of get into that, you're seeing that. And I think the book calls it like, it's almost like the kids have a, a mirror on their face and yes. it's, it's because they're emulating uh, all of your positive behaviors, but they're also emulating your negative behavior behaviors because ultimately um, they may not listen to you, but they're really good at imitating you. And those imitations at some point become personality and character and behaviors and everything else. And so what I wanted to kind of dive in a little deeper into that is when we talk about how people are so caught up 
in either the, the success or failure of their child because they're almost seeing themselves in that. And so that's a, becomes a direct reflection of them. And so, you know, we have this situation where uh, we are almost making our kids life miserable because we're so insecure with what we're seeing our kids exhibit. And so QBQ kind of ties into that where if we start changing our behaviors, hopefully the kids will start emulating that as well. Is that where you start to see uh, or believe that QBQ will start to see a shift in some of that those kids' behaviors because you're ultimately changing your behavior first? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, modeling is the most powerful teacher. So I am modeling every single day for my children how to do this thing we call life. And so it's my job to continually look at myself and say, okay, what am, what am I modeling that is not the healthiest, best, most productive way to live? And what's great about being a mom is I see some of those downfalls in my kids because I know they're learning it from me. So my son Joshua snaps at his little brother for <laughs> Legos, you know, I mean, where did he learn to do that? He learned to enter into conflict and discord with anger. He learned that from me. My daughter, Rebecca, when she is corrected, even lovingly by my husband or myself, she withdraws and hides and won't communicate. That she learned from me. So when I see these things in my kids, I think, oh, clearly I have not fully gotten rid of those um, failures in my own life. So I can look back at myself and, okay, what, what am I doing to work on my ability to accept correction and, and handle conflict in a healthy way so that I can model that for my kids. And then not only hoping that they just watch and learn, but then I also do have to have those tough conversations with them going back to my son and saying, Hey, how could you have handled that differently? How can I help you learn how to handle these situations differently? And, um, it, but it, it does all come back to me and modeling for my children how to change behavior and how to grow. Like I said about my parents, I learned from them that it's really important to always be learning because parenting is a learned skill. It's not something we're born knowing how to do. If you're out there and you're listening to this podcast and you don't have children yet, statistics say you likely will have children someday. So please know this. Parenting is a learned skill. It's not something we just know how to do. We have to constantly be learning and growing and gaining new skills. Yeah. I'm glad that we're talking about this because even when you think about like how my parents parented me, let's say for example, they did a really good job. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't do the exact same things that they did then now. Cause for me, like uh, I was I was kind of on the tail end of that just get home before dark uh, yeah. mentality, yeah. and and uh, you know seat belts were optional, like laying down in the in the back seat of the station way, like all those. So that that was like parenting for me, and I'm I'm obviously pointing out like you know the funny parts of it, but I I can't do the same thing today, and so I have to kind of take some of the principles that they have, and I think the principles stay true, uh, mm-hmm. and then apply it and adjust it accordingly for this generation of kids. Because, you know, even for me, uh, I grew up before the internet and now there's connected devices all throughout my house. And yeah. so trying to navigate that in terms of screen time, uh, looking people in the eyes when, when you talk to them, uh, obeying right away, like all these different things are a lot more difficult because, my kids really don't know what it means to be bored, which, <laughs> which at the same time, when they don't know what it means to be bored, they have less of a desire to be creative. It's so, true. And so they, so they consume and consume and consume. 
So my responsibility uh, is to recognize that and learn that, you know, it's going to be less uh, exciting for them mm-hmm. to color or read a book now because the alternative of being bored uh, is no longer there. It's it, now it's like I can go and play a video game. I can communicate with my friends. I can do all these really fun things, but now I'm not creative anymore. And so we have to foster that creativity. No, you do. You have to set those limits. What can I do as a parent to teach my kids balance with technology? Because that's a real thing. I'm learning how to balance technology and social media and, and all those things. So I have to model that and then also say, Hey, it's my job as a parent. How can I teach my kids the respect and being able to set the device aside and say, you know what? No, I'm going to read a book instead of read my phone or I'm going to, play Legos with my kid instead of let him go play Minecraft by himself and disappear into that world of creativity and building. No, let's do it here present with me at the table. Spend some yeah. time together. I think that's really important. <laughs> well, I, I will share one little life hack that I've, that I've uh, found and it's been real. We've been relatively successful with it is that uh, we don't limit their play time. We limit their charging time. And so basically nice. both kids have iPads. And so Fridays are the days that you charge. And if you want to play it all day long on Saturday and your iPad dies, then you can't use it the rest of the week. And so it's kind of teaching them a little bit to be smart with that. Um, they're, they're figuring out ways around it when we take road trips and those kinds of things. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's helped because um, that way they, they kind of know like this is a limited time thing. Yeah. Now, there is some new stuff coming out where, and I just saw it like a iOS 12 update where you can actually limit screen time, yeah. which is cool. So some, there's, so there's some new tools coming out for that, but uh, you need to kind of think a little bit differently about it. I can get my son to mow the yard now, um, like the parts that he's supposed to mow uh, for 15 extra minutes of Fortnite. Uh, if I just, if I just say, Hey, go, if you go mow the trees, like he knows if he goes and mows the trees, he's going to get 15 extra minutes and it's okay to start low. Like if you want to have additional chores and additional things they want to do and they, they can earn that time. I feel like that's, that's a teaching opportunity, even though I don't want them to be on online all the time. The challenge that you run into is when you have friends that are on basically from when they get home from school until about nine o'clock at night. Yeah. So they're always comparing themselves to those additional things. But uh, you do have to learn. You have to figure out ways to adjust because uh, there's different things that motivate them them now. And there's different uh, kind of struggles that they're going to deal with, too. I I don't know how I'm going to handle if somebody is bullying my kid online. I I don't know how to handle that. I'm going to have to do research and learn on those things. And I'm going to delay that as long as possible. They're not getting online for a long time. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. Uh, one thing that I, I did want to make sure that we, we covered uh, in this conversation was that parental abdication where we're expecting other people to influence and shape our kids' lives. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'd love for you to talk about some of the, con- some of the consequences of that and, and really because I feel like it's happening more and more to where we're just expecting school to teach our kids about uh, you know, getting along with people and sex and everything else or expecting the church to to teach them their relationship with God and their spiritual life. And we're expecting all these other things to happen and, and we're just their taxi that gets them to all these different di- different places. And so what role does QBQ play in being a responsible parent and not uh, abdicating that responsibility to somebody else? Yeah, I think that's really important because we do, as listed in the, in the Raising Accountable Kids book, we do hear a lot of questions like, 
Why doesn't someone deal with the problem of bullying? Who's going to teach my kid about internet safety? When will schools become more, have more character building programs? Why isn't there more effort to educate kids on the dangers of drugs? Just all these questions that push the responsibility off onto the schools or the churches or the youth leaders or whatever. And that is not what parenting is all about. My children are a product of my parenting. My parenting is what shapes and molds these kids to be adults someday. And so if I'm waiting for the schools to train my kids on internet safety. Now, let me tell you, I'm so grateful when the kids come home from kindergarten with worksheets about internet safety. I think that's fantastic. It's so helpful to have that support. But that's the thing. The school is supporting me in my parenting endeavor. I am 100% responsible for my children. And so the schools support that. The churches support that. They support the values and the character that I want my children to have, but it is not their job to raise my kids. That's my job. So being able to look at myself and say, what can I do to be 100% in? How can I make sure that I am instilling the character and the values and modeling those characters and values for my kids at home? That's the accountable way of parenting not waiting for schools to take care of the problem. And I think part of the challenge is, is, is we, we have this expectation that we're putting them in these places and then, and then just by osmosis, it's going to rub off on them. Um, yeah. But I love how it's, we're talking about it as a supporting thing, as opposed to an expectation, yep. because I think sometimes we think, well, they're going to know they're going to, they're dealing with way more kids. So they're going to know, um, they're going to know what to do more than I will. Yeah. They're more <laughs> it they're they're trained to do it that's all true they are trained to be educators but i am my, my i am my child's primary teacher in all yeah. now do i know how to teach algebra no that's why i send my kid to school if i wanted to homeschool i could learn how to teach my kid mm -hmm. algebra, but i'm not choosing to do that right now but that doesn't mean that i'm not still my child's primary teacher about life and Life is not about algebra. Life is about character. <laughs> we have some math teachers listening to this that are probably going to disagree <laughs> with that. But I will say this. It is our, and we talked about it earlier, it's important for us to educate ourselves. And, and educating ourselves is difficult and it takes time. But if, we, if we're going to focus on making ourselves better parents, we're going to hopefully become better people, better leaders, and it's going to uh, trickle down to all aspects of our life. And that's what we're really trying to do. The easy way is to say, here, uh, go learn that from school or here, uh, go talk to your um, guidance counselor about that or, or whatever it may be. That's the easy path. But then that's basically handing off that responsibility to somebody else. And I'll pretty much guarantee you they're not going to do it the way that you want them to do it. So later on when you're frustrated with the behavior that's being exhibited as a direct result of that, you have to kind of realize that that's essentially um, a direct result of you uh, abdicating that responsibility to somebody else. And so therefore, in my opinion, and, and I, I think the book agrees with this, is basically saying uh, you can't get frustrated with something that you didn't have a part of. Yep. Yep. It's my, it's my responsibility to raise my kids and if I want my children to work hard and be kind and courageous, then it's my job to teach them that. The schools will support me in that, but they're not going to be their primary teachers. It's just not their job. It's mine. Yeah. Uh, building on top of that is also allowing your kids to fail. And I think that that's a, a really important uh, thing here because 
I love thinking about controlled failure versus absolute failure. And as a parent, you kind of have some of that ability to allow them to fail in different areas. And the book talks about that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the times that you've had uh, your parents maybe allowed you to fail a little bit or you've allowed some of your kids to fail and how uh, QBQ tied into that? Yeah, I, I'm sure that my parents allowed me to fail. I don't remember it. Because <laughs> I certainly was never perfect and and had my moments. Um, this is kind of an example of that, but I was taking my son and Joshua to school, and we they walk. I mean, it's like just down the block, but it's Minnesota, so there's many times during the year where I drive them. I got my kids into the car, and I went to take them to school, and I said, Joshua, do you have your hat? Did you put it in your bag? And he goes, no, Mom, it's not in there. You didn't put it in my bag. And I decided, well, this is a teachable moment to teach my kid about responsibility. So I said, hey, buddy, you know, that's that's actually an example of blame right there. You're blaming mommy for not putting your hat in your bag when that's your responsibility. And he yeah. said, well, mom, it's not blame if it's true. You didn't put my hat in my bag. <laughs> true. Like, well, but it's blame because it's your responsibility. So we were able to have a really good conversation right then about how he was going to be cold at school. And how his teachers were going to tell him, you need to bring a hat. And he was going to feel like he'd failed. But that was okay. You know what? Because he didn't get frostbite. He was fine. He had a hood on his jacket that he could put up. So in that tiny moment, instead of racing back home, getting his hat, dropping it up in the office, he never forgot his hat again. Because in that moment, I was able as a mom to say, you know what? It's important for him right now to feel the hurt and the pain of failing in this tiny little really non-important thing. Better for him to learn that now than later when it's something really important in life. I'd yeah. rather in those little moments. I think I, uh, as you were telling me that story and telling the audience that story, I instantly thought of the uh, the frustrated parent that just says, "You need your hat," yeah. and the kid's like, "Why?" and you just go say, "Because I said so." Exactly. And then, and, yeah. and, the, and then the kids just like, "Well, you Whatever. just." You just want to boss me around and, and whatever else. And I'm tapping into my like eight-year-old self here. <laughs> but I, I think it's important to realize that, you know, because I said so doesn't maybe land as well as maybe some controlled failure. And so if we can find those ways to maybe use those as teaching moments and figure out ways to say, okay, uh, like you said, you're, 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 you're exhibiting blame right now. And there's consequences for that, but there's also like uh, an opportunity for you to do the right thing and do what you're supposed to do. You didn't do that. And so now we're going to kind of see what that looks like when you don't do that. And then you can decide if you are okay with not wearing a hat, which I know I, know, I actually know one kid in, in my son's grade kid never wears pants. He only wears shorts, <laughs> even, in, even in the, even in the wintertime. I'm glad you qualified that with the, he wears shorts. Cause yes. Yeah. I, careful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he only wears shorts even in the wintertime. And I'm just sitting there going, I, I you, you have to be freezing. And he, he's adamant that he's not. And so maybe that controlled failure gets a little bit out of hand on that kid because yeah, uh, he, yeah, he just really does put them in harm's way. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, he kind of embraces that one thing. But at, at the same time, though, look for those ways and be okay with it because um, we kind of talk about um, helicopter parenting oh, yeah. uh, where, where you're trying to control everything and you don't want them to fail and you want to take care of everything. Um, but I just heard a new term and I'm, I'm wondering if you've heard this before called lawnmower parent, parenting. Have you heard oh, of that one? Horrible. Okay. So lawnmowering parenting is not just where you're hovering around your kids, but you're actually mowing down and taking care of everything for them. So oh. they never experience anything other than smooth sailing. Oh, 
and uh, and I feel like that's it. I just heard it, so I hope it's not an epidemic or anything yet. But yeah. it sounds like it's kind of going that way. And so hopefully, with uh, us talking about this and, and encouraging people to read and check out raising accountable kids, you can uh, hopefully infer that he- helicopter parenting is one thing, but lawnmower parenting is is kind of going the exact opposite direction of raising accountable kids. That's not good at all. We don't want to make everything perfect for our kids because then they'll hit the real world and they will be a complete failure of an adult human being. Yeah. (laughs) And then they turn around and come back and live with you. (laughs) Exactly. No, you are out of my house at 18. Maybe you can come back for a little bit here and there, but no, you're done. (laughs) Well, Kristen, I appreciate you taking the time to talk a little bit about uh, raising accountable kids. I know that uh, that topic is very near and dear to your heart, uh, as well as QBQ. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about some of the educational things you do through the um, the Own It curriculum and the workbook that you have and some of the yeah. speaking that you do. So how does that all tie into QBQ? Yeah, so our primary uh, message is personal accountability. So we have a couple different vehicles for how we get that message across. Of course, we have our best-selling book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. That can be found anywhere online. Um, and its counterpart, Flipping the Switch, which is kind of the lesser-known, I wish people knew it more book, because it really just takes the concepts in QBQ and digs down even deeper into a couple different really important principles like learning, creativity, ownership, trust, just some really, really good stuff for a leader, for a mom, for a dad, for a business entrepreneur, anybody. Um, There's just really good content in there. So we have our books and then we have a workbook that we created to go along with QBQ to kind of fill that void between our live training sessions that corporations and nonprofits can have us in to do and then just having just the books because there's a large demographic of people out there who aren't part of a big organization who can afford to hire us in to do a training. So we wanted to offer something to them that would allow some self-study. So that's why we created the QBQ workbook and that's the name of it, the QBQ workbook. And that's on Amazon as well. So you can get that to dig a little bit deeper on your own personal study or with a small group of people. Um, but if you're, if anyone out there is interested in a speaker or a virtual session, I'm doing a lot more since I am raising babies at home. I'm doing a lot more uh, Zoom conferencing type uh, live training sessions where clients will pack 30 people into a conference room and I'll come on the internet and, and teach. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's a cost effective way for, for clients. And it works for me because I'm not having to leave my family for days at a time. So uh, we have many different ways to get the QBQ message to people. And we are at QBQ.com, and you can hit us up there and find out more. We love some people, so good. yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll not be able to edit all of it out. So we do have a special guest on the podcast. Mariah is uh, making a little bit of an appearance, kind of hanging out with us. And so I think it's awesome that even through uh, your day-to-day work and everything that you do, that you're able to stay close to your family because that's. Again, that's some of the things that are really important in, yeah. in being parenting is being present and spending that time with them and making sure that the kids know, hey, I'm going to work my schedule around being around you because yeah. your success is that important to me. Yeah, we could have a whole other podcast about for women specifically or I guess stay at home parents. But there is something different about that, that mother yeah. from home with the children. It's, it's a whole thing. It's a learning yeah. curve. <laughs> Well, I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience because uh, you, you now that we've kind of talked a little bit, you kind of have an understanding of, of who we're trying to reach and what we're trying to accomplish here. I'd love to know what your message is to young business leaders. 
I think to the young business leader, I would say, go after your dreams. Do it. And remember that it's all about me. Not in a bad way, not in a narcissistic way, but in the way that reminds us that every choice I make, I am choosing either to chase after my dreams or not. So make that choice. Say, how can I reach my dreams? What can I do today to, um, to continue striving after that, that vision that I have for myself? Whether that includes marriage and parenting, or if it doesn't include that, if it includes working and starting a business and making lots of money, these, all these dreams are worthwhile. And personal accountability makes such a difference because when we fail along life's path, because we will, it's so much better to be able to look back at ourselves and say, okay, how can I learn from this? What can I do to succeed in the future? Instead of why didn't that work out? And why didn't anyone help me? And whose fault is this? When we blame and play the victim and procrastinate, it really um, takes away from any success that we actually do have. So being able to practice QBQ and look at ourselves and say, what can I do today to achieve my dreams? That's what I hope that young leaders are out there doing. Fantastic. Kristen, thank you for taking the time to speak to the audience and uh, and taking your time to uh, go beyond just the book itself, but actually go out and train and help other people better understand the right kind of questions that they should be asking themselves. So with that, uh, listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the young businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.